All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast that previously asked the question, is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? We decided yes, probably, and now we are killing time until the TV show drops. Today we're getting back into the trials of Apollo, and we're tackling the second half of book three, The Burning Maze. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Caitlin and Ethan returning from our conversation on our last episode. We are really here to talk about the end of the burning maze. This is your warning right now. If you haven't read this book and you are going to be upset emotionally with us, if you're going to be violent physically with us because we summarized the rest of this book for you, turn back now read it and then come back we're gonna we're gonna specifically reveal some uh important information about characters that you might have attachments to from previous books uh you might find it jarring you might already know it because this information has been on the internet for a minute we might have already spoiled it for you back in the day because uh diego mentioned <laughs> it on an episode in son of neptune and we could never turn back from that point on it was my own fault for not deciding to cut it no people were mad people were mad but we finally isn't that wild we finally reached this moment yeah wow it's been a journey. So we're going to dive right into our plot breakdown summary. Again, if you are cool with us spoiling this for you and you haven't read the book yet, feel free to stick around. If you want to check it out yourself, please, now is the moment. All right. We open up on the team, which is Piper, Jason, Apollo, and Meg heading to Santa Barbara to try and find Caligula's location. Turns out Caligula is somewhere on like a string of 50 plus yachts, which he has built for himself as a floating palace, very reminiscent of his time back in the day as an emperor. Um, we charm speak some coast guards and sneak our way out onto one of these yachts. Um, they're full of a variety of mercenaries and pandos, which we didn't mention in the last episode, and we'll talk about more today. It's a new race of magical people question mark wait pandos is the singular right panda is the plural yeah including a pandos um that we previously blow darted in dtla on our way into the maze um this pandos is actually a good guy and he's not caught up in all the toxic masculinity of the other pandai he wants Apollo to teach him how to play music, so he ends up flying off. Important. Um, the team splits up so that we can try to find both Caligula's shoes and Caligula himself. Um, we do eventually find the shoe yacht that has Caligula's boots that we need to navigate through the maze. But we get super trapped by the bad guys, Medea, Incitatus, the talking horse, and Caligula himself. This is a very, very difficult battle. We are fully surrounded. It is truly just the four people on our team surrounded by an army. Apollo tries to kill himself to save time slash I don't know. His plan is that he's trying to weaken Medea further because Medea is expending her magic to trap Jason and Meg. And so his idea is that she's going to have to heal him so that she can extract his god magic extract whatever and therefore allow jason meg to escape which works correct because apollo doesn't actually end up fully killing himself because he uses the arrow of dodona which dodgeth and weaveth his heart so the plan somewhat works and how do we fully get ourselves out of this mess well one character makes a very big and very important sacrifice important i guess is depending on your pov of this plot point but it is the moment everyone jason grace sacrifices himself to save meg apollo and Piper. Oh my god. It goes by really quickly. Caligula shouts something like, this isn't a game. Oh. We're like, what is happening? No, yep, he seems really literally dead. In case he wasn't literally dead, Caligula is stabbing him in the back. Jason's last act is to whisper something to his wind horse to basically carry the team out of there. And also shouts at Apollo to please go remember. No, I'm. my head is in my hands. Like, you guys... People who are listening right now cannot see me, but I was no, literally Ethan is screaming the entire time. I like, like, oh my god! It's just this is a personal attack. 
that's what this book was to me. Anyways, continue. So yeah, no, Jason is dead, turns out. Um, Jason's wind horse picks up Apollo and Piper, and Crest, which is the name of the friendly Pandos, carries Meg, and we all end up back on the shore of the McLean Malibu Beach property. The mist tells Piper's dad that Jason must have died in a surfing accident. Piper is extremely pissed off at Apollo. She essentially tells him to call 911 and then tells them to leave, which he and Meg do. We end up back in Palm Springs and the mood is somber. Meg, Apollo, and Grover prepare to head back into the maze with Caligula's boots and with the help of Crest, who is learning some truly heinous chords on the ukulele and tells Apollo that he wishes to become a god of music. Meg plants the magic seeds that her dad created that survived the fire at Itales because an old dryad had hid them away for many, many years. We are now back in the burning maze to use the shoes to lead us to the oracle of this book, The Sybil. Much needed humor and fun um, after Jason's <laughs> death in this book sure, sure. as the Sybil gives us these trivia questions that we have to answer in order to find her to navigate through the maze. Each trivia answer actually spells out a new prophecy for us. It's very adorable. Um, also, they kind of have a hard time with it, I feel like, because they have no Annabeth. They have no one on their team who is, like, particularly intelligent. Grover answers, like, a few of them, and I was kind of really surprised because, like, I didn't know he was a crosswords guy, but apparently he was, so. <laughs> but Apollo actually answers one wrong at one point, which um, has them facing very soon the fiery essence of Helios. Apollo decides that the only way for them to get out of this is to try to communicate with Helios in this moment, with whatever essence of his consciousness is trapped in these flames. And Apollo realizes that Helios does not want to be trapped here. He is being abused and manipulated by Medea, and that he longs to destroy Medea. And then Helios kind of lets them go. Um, the team finds Herophile, the Sybil, who is chained on this little like stone island in the middle of a burning sea of ichor, which, if you don't remember, is golden god blood extremely dramatic, insane imagery. We're answering more trivia, more crossword puzzles here to form a stone path to try to reach the Sybil to free her from her chains. But oop, guess who's here too? It is Medea. It was a trap, obviously. Um, Medea is here ready to suck the godly essence out of Apollo once and for all. She chains him, um, traps Grover and Meg in the Ventus cages, much like she did Meg and Jason earlier. It's not going well at all. Things are looking very bad. Medea murders the Pandos crest. But who shows up as our deus ex machina just when we need her? It is Piper, along with the magical ash tree dryads from Meg's dad's magic seeds, naturally, obviously. Piper stabs <laughs> Medea in the back as payback for Jason's death. And she kisses her on the cheek when she dies, saying, I would tell you to say hi to Jason for me, but he'll be in Elysium and you won't and i did just quote that from memory <laughs> as you should we are able to escape here um waiting on the surface once we emerge from the labyrinth is a pandai ambush along with incitatus the horse but thanks to the melii which is the name of the ash tree dryads we are able to escape very very easily the horse is fully defeated the melii are like a little bit scary and they also worship meg and she's a little bit uncomfortable with this power, which Apollo notes is good because good people are rarely comfortable with power and that is why they rarely rise to it. We go back to Palm Springs. The Melii are permanently planted here and they shall watch over SoCal forever. The Sybil will also make a home for herself here under the ash trees. And since Grover's work, the reason he was in California this whole time was to protect the nature of SoCal. He is done. He is he is fully realized. His mission is over, and it's mission time for him to finally, after all of these years, go back to Camp Half-Blood. It is also back to Oklahoma for Piper, who you will remember is being forced out of her Malibu home along with her father. And it's to New Rome for Apollo, Meg, and Jason's corpse. Um, we are outside of the McLean family jet when we reunite with Leo, who is, of course, devastated to find out about the loss of Jason. He decides that he will accompany Hedge, the Hedge family and, and the McLean family to Oklahoma. And we are off on a new quest with a new prophecy. Apollo faces death in Tarkin's tomb unless the doorway to the soundless god is opened by Bologna's daughter. On the flight to New Rome, Apollo reflects on Jason's life and his last wishes, and he vows to be more than an observer, to be Apollo and to remember. 
Oh god, I was just screaming throughout that entire thing. Like, I literally just read the book, but then like hearing you say it all back, I'm like, the emotion. It feels like you're reading a fanfic, and then you pause, and you're like, wait a second, this is a real book, this is actually happening? It's canon. <laughs> but also, like, the second half of this book, after Jason dies, obviously, like, complete tone switch. Yeah. Like, everyone is super somber, and like, we were talking the last, like, last time about how like Apollo becomes like much more serious in this book but like it really kicks in after Jason dies because like suddenly he realized like oh crap there are stakes like yep it's not just me like looking around and finding out it's like there are people like dying here yeah mortality I feel like we should talk about Apollo attempting suicide don't think we need to put a trigger warning on this only because it's not actual. He admits that he did not think he would actually die um, when he, he did this. He doesn't want to, yeah. He does not want to, yeah. It's just something that he, his brain thinks this would be the right thing to do in this moment to help save everybody. Um, it was purely selfish. He did not want to die. He did not want to perish. Um, and also just the function of the plague arrow here is so freaking funny. I love funny. the plague arrow so much. I really cannot hype the plague arrow up enough it is hilarious. Plaguey, plaguey, plaguey. It is at the height of its humors in this book, frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After we get off of the yacht and everything goes down with Apollo stabbing himself with Jason's death, there's this conversation between Meg and Apollo on page 316. You tried to kill yourself, Meg noted. I, I thought it would distract Medea. It was a mistake. It's all my fault. Nah, I get it. Was Meg McCaffrey forgiving me? I swallowed back a sob. Jason made a choice, she said. Same as you. Heroes have to be ready to sacrifice themselves. I felt unsettled, and not just because Meg had used such a long sentence. I didn't like her definition of heroism. I'd always thought of a hero as someone who stood on a parade float, waved at a crowd, tossed candy, and basked in the adulation of commoners. But sacrificing yourself? No. That would not be one of my bullet points for a hero recruitment brochure. Also, Meg seemed to be calling me a hero, putting me in the same category as Jason Grace. That didn't feel right. I made a much better god than hero. I'm going to keep recalling back to the original series because I mentioned this in the last episode. I'm tearing up. Um <laughs> We love it when Caitlin cries on seaweed brain. <laughs> Could this happen last time and the time before that, I'm pretty sure. But it just reminds me of um, Percy learning to yield and understanding that he wasn't supposed to be the sacrifice for everything to end and for everything to be resolved. And now Apollo is learning what sacrifice truly means in this in the sense of, you know, the grand scheme of things. And for him, because he values his own life so much, the sacrifice is himself whereas for percy it was the sacrifice of someone else in his place because he had always been so ready to do it himself um and the fact that he has to yield and not do that for him was significant and then obviously apollo is just in the shadow of that i think it's it's page 356 where apollo has a like pain induced flashback to the first time that he rode the sun chariot when he was first assuming the duties of the sun god after Helios kind of dissipated, he thinks to himself, like, who are you? As he's facing this moment of becoming the sun god and all of that. And this is the, like, moment that is this memory that's revisited to him as he's, like, at death's door. And it made me think, I'm not sure if this is going to land for anybody else, but it made me think about the parallels between Jason and Apollo because I was already thinking about the similarities between them. Okay, Ethan is agreeing with me. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. So many yes. thoughts about this. When at the end of um, our last episode, when Jason grabs the hold, like grabs hold of Apollo, I think he calls him brother mm. because they are, right? They're half brothers. Yeah. They're both sons of Zeus. Yeah. And I was thinking in that moment about how similar they are in that respect and also how neither of them has ever had somebody to relate to on that level before. Yeah. Like Jason kind of has Talia, but it's just not the same. And so- Wait. Apollo has a twin sister. Wait. Well, Jason has Talia and Apollo has Artemis, but I don't know. I think that they just, you know, <laughs> bros, whatever. Bros, whatever. Sons okay. of sons it's of like um, the Zeus. sons. Yeah, like the sons of Zeus have like that pressure. Yeah, it made me think about the other different parallels between Jason and Apollo, yeah. and Apollo's question really being like, "Who are you? Like, you have had all of these things put onto you, and you don't know who you actually are when all of that is stripped away, when all of those responsibilities of being the quote-unquote hero that people have given to you fall away." Like. 
who are you? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for your friends? Are you willing to fit into this true definition of a hero? And so when Jason um, passes away, Apollo is then confronted with this guilt of, I would not have done that, you know? And like, Jason is better than me in all these aspects. But because Jason has sort of showed me who I need to be, I'm going to then be Apollo. You know, I'm going to be the hero that, Mm -hmm. the god that Jason would want me to be. Yeah, that like, that sums up so well. But there's just so many parallels between Apollo and Jason. Mm. Apollo talks about how like Jason stood up for him to Zeus in Blood of Olympus Mm -hmm. at the end. No one has ever stood up for me before. Nobody had ever done that. But like this demigod that didn't know Apollo at all. Jason is just so good. Like (laughs) I have to, I have to like let my Jason loving self just take over for a second, but he is like the tragic hero. Like that's what he is. And like in this book, it kind of hurts to say, but like he really, like his character in this book really is just meant to motivate Apollo to Mm -hmm. become better and like enable his character development, which I, it's just because I love Jason so much that I'm like, oh, why do you have to die? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the natural bias. So like I, I make a note later on. I guess I can kind of bring it up now. Let's talk about like really like did he need to die? Yes. Um and I'm biased because I have my own personal opinions about Jason, but like if you're looking at it from like a writer's perspective, if you're looking at it from a plot perspective, you can kind of come to the I would hope with the four of us, the unanimous decision that like it makes sense, it hurts for sure. But it it makes so much sense. And, like, I'll preface this now by saying that, like, Jason was my least favorite character in the entire series. But um, I know, I know, I'm sorry, Ethan, but (laughs) this book is my favorite book of him. Yeah. The reason why I loved this book so much is because I finally get that Jason arc that he deserves. Like, that is actually what his character deserved. And unfortunately, that arc had to end in him dying because that's what gave him so much worth. And I feel like it would be cheapened his arc if he stayed alive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I yeah, I agree with that. Like I agree from like from like a writing perspective and mm. his death was needed for like Apollo's character development. But at the same time, I also fully believe that his death is like intentionally useless, like within mm, the yes. book. Yes, like what did he die yeah. for? Within this yes. book. It does not achieve a goal. It feels pointless. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like right after he dies, the Meliers show up and like wreck it. And it's like, if he just held out for a little longer, like he would have been saved, but he's dead instead. Actually, okay, okay. I'll see the floor. <laughs> my opinion is that it's actually an answer to the... Heroes of Olympus issue where no demigod died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this theory so much too. Oh. The, the prophecy clearly states that. An oath to keep with the final breath. And Leo did not die. He cheated death. I just got. He, he cheated death. And Jason is Storm. And he died with Tempest next to him after breaking into like the winds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the oath is the oath that he makes Apollo swear. To him and his with his last breath. Uh-huh. With his uh-huh. last breath, yes. I have goosebumps. I have. I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm freaking out. This is insane. So it resolves that arc um, that we never got to see, and I always felt cheapened by Leo's death. Me too. At the end of Blood of Olympus, because it didn't make sense. I was yeah. angry yeah. at Rick for a very long time. I said, mm-hmm. "You can't end the series like that." And I always used to be happy with how Rick ended things so well in a satisfying way. Blood of Olympus never did that for me. Finally came to appreciate that it happened here and it happened with Jason. I fully, fully agree. Yes. I think Rick is too smart for his own good sometimes. Like, I don't think he (laughs) even realized he did that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I fully believe he stumbled into that. He stumbled into that There's like, the landing is not... 100% 100% clean like the conversation that they have on, afterwards hater, about Carter, why they can't get <laughs> physicians cure is painful and not like in a literary emotional way painful and like a oof girl I There's guess a plot hole there. We, he can't come back to life so I guess you have to rationalize it somehow yeah my but main like... note was like okay so now <laughs> death is final like okay like now when you want it to count the doors uh, like, are closed. Right, right. There's no more physicians. Jason cure. wouldn't want that. 
That okay, that was the part that actually really got me because it's like yeah, I'm like oh screw you. That does not actually make any sense to me. Like maybe mortality is good, but like mortality it being good does not mean like yes. If I get killed as a 17 year old, I should just nod and um like stay dead <laughs> he's the only one out of the seven okay no no no. percy and annabeth had plans but like jason had like plans Beatrice. like he was gonna like change the world you know he had his little model with the little monopoly houses <laughs> yeah he probably had a little hot glue gun too Stop it. what makes it hit so much more the comparison i made is that jason is the rue of this universe in terms of Hunger Games, like the Mockingjay, because the tidal wave, it completely shifts. He represents that hope, that future, because, you know, Rue was a kid, Rue had this huge future, and she was thrown into the Hunger Games. And then Jason had these um, hopes and dreams for Olympus and for Camp Half-Blood and for Camp Jupiter. He was a beautiful marriage of everything they were hoping for the future and to make it better and continuing Percy's legacy and it's torn away from him and now Apollo has to carry that through to make peace with you know his own destiny and continuing that legacy not to reference the hours 2002 film but to reference the hours the 2002 film also based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel <laughs> it's a film and a story that tracks Virginia Woolf, a 1950s housewife, and Meryl Streep playing a woman nicknamed Mrs. Dalloway. And their lives are all sort of following a similar track. And um, at one point, Virginia Woolf, played by none other than our mother, Nicole Kidman, says, um, someone has to die. And her husband asks, who is it going to be? Is it going to be the hero? And she says, no, it's going to be the poet, the poet, the visionary. And her husband is like, why does somebody have to die? And she says, in order that others may value life more. Yeah. yeah. It's important that it's the visionary, the poet, the one who sees everything, because that catalyzes the hero. Yeah. It's true. If you read Mrs. Dalloway, that is, in fact, how the book works. <laughs> I also just finished Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and I don't want to spoil anything in that book for people who haven't read it. I want to read that. But there is, you know, it may also follow a similar plot trajectory are you can you say that that's like high key a spoiler for people <laughs> <laughs> good stories tend to follow the structure that's true think back to your favorite literary deaths and see like how many of these are actually like follow this like frame of thinking because i feel like it would be probably most of them yeah as a writer yeah, <laughs> yeah. caitlin is like when i kill my characters i make sure it's the most inspiring one who dies <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Spoiler, like the amount of fan fiction like that I've read that's like non-canon compliant or like I've like killed someone. Wait, wait, what's what's your AO3? Oh, it's on it's on Instagram. I'll I'll send it to you. It'll be in our show notes, listeners. Send it to me. <laughs> um Okay. Maybe to bring us a little bit out of the Jason death just for a moment, a little bit of levity. Yeah. There is a very hilarious moment when we are truly at death's door in like the burning Icker Lake when Meg starts singing to try to like distract Medea. And it literally stops all action and fighting because Meg is like such a bad singer and is basically just like monotone shouting things that everybody like pauses for a moment and is like, Meg, you have to stop. Like, like cut it out right now. And then like goes back to like dying. And she fighting. was trying. She was trying. Medea is literally like, I was keeping you alive because Nero told me to, but I think he'll understand if I have to kill you because of how badly you sing. Representation matters. <laughs> Oh my god. Can we talk about Herophile real quick? Because my girl, <laughs> we have approximately like four pages of her in this book, but I feel like I know her. Do you know what I mean? She's the most well-characterized yeah, yes. oracle. If you don't count the Hour of Dodona, kind of maybe, I don't know. <laughs> oh, true, true. My two favorite characters in the entire ride verse are Herophile, <laughs> the Sybil, and the Arrow of Dodona. The Arrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely clear on how like the Riordanverse lore maps onto and contrasts with like actual myth, but there are t several Sibyls because a Sibyl was kind of just like a like a prophetess. Um, they're even mentioned in the Bible because, as it mentions in this book, in the Bible they supposedly like foretold the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Apollo says that this Sibyl Herophile actually was the one who 
predicted the coming of Jesus. That was one of her last big things that she did before she just kind of started wandering around aimlessly doing crossword puzzles. She's described as having like a very athletic build, which is if you look at all of the like Renaissance artwork and whatnot of her, she is like buff, like extremely built. She's built. She is built. I love that for her. She's so funny. She just cares about her little crossword puzzles. She wants to like move to Pasadena so she can host a game show. And everyone is like, no, please don't do that. Like, what if you didn't? <laughs> the whole like crossword puzzle maze scene is just so fun and like such a welcome bit of relief in this like deep, dark second half of the book. Yeah. And it's a re it's reminiscent again of um, Battle of the Labyrinth with the Sphinxes. Uh, Sphinx. Exactly, exactly. And Apollo is thinking the whole time, you know, about like how he's wronged Herophile in all of these ways and like he's feeling really guilty. And then when he sees her, when they like lock eyes on each other, she's like so excited to see him. She's like, Apollo, oh my God. You know, it's like, again, it's like this old friends type of relationship that is just so entertaining to me. Conversation about the, the pandai, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I was confused. Oh, <laughs> me too. Oh my god. I don't know a lot about the mythology of it, so I had to look it up. I was so confused. There isn't a lot of reference to them in antiquity. As far as you know, my my quick research showed me. Um, they're mostly talked about by Pliny the Elder and like maybe in a couple other places. Similar to other myths within the Riordan verse that are like supposedly these like magical creatures come from places outside of the Greco-Roman Empire, they are still like Greco-Roman myths. Yes. They are not from other places. They're more like, I think Owen put it in this way. They're like, oh, you know, trade root gossip. Yeah, um. <laughs> exactly. Like somebody saw an elephant and did not know anything else oh, and therefore created this um, mythological oh. superstructure. So yeah, we could think about them as like humanoid elephants, maybe. Um, some of the descriptions, let's be honest, they are questionable. Don't love... <laughs> all of it i don't even i don't feel the need to like say them out loud yeah it's fine but some of them is just like you know let's be suspicious let's read let's read with a critical eye here we can deduce um for ourselves seaweed brain listeners you have the skills um to <laughs> pick apart some of these very strange descriptions yeah i do however find it to be extremely hilarious that they are all named after guitar pedals guitar i thought that was so smart brick really showed some knowledge of of music production here there's a really delightful tiktoker now who's like have you all seen this it's like running their effect pedal plugs like through different fruits um, and creating different distortions. I saw a mushroom. Um, we're clearly not on the same side of TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not even on Percy Jackson TikTok anymore. I've been on like a hiatus of just like Percy Jackson content for so long. And I'm unfortunately it's on just Minecraft. Minecraft. I'm Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I see you. Yep. I, I recognize you. Wow. You are wow. valid. Thank you, Erica. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that. <laughs> Also, Crest dies. I mean, rest in peace. The Crest death? Talk about somebody who had hopes and dreams. No, 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 wait. Because I was fully expecting Apollo to make him into a god of music somehow and, like, make him immortal. Because I read this book, you know, way back. And I was rereading it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, that for sure happens. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, okay, talk about a useless death. Like, are you kidding me? I felt similarly. Like, that one was not needed in the narrative, I feel. That one could have, we could have done without it. I felt similarly to when Olujime, like, disappeared at the end of the last book, and everyone was like, he's never coming back. Like, he didn't die, but I was like, wait, you introduced this character for, like, 20 pages and nothing else? I'm so disappointed. Absolutely. Clearly, there's an idea with Crest that Apollo doesn't have enough things to feel bad about, and that he hasn't broken enough promises for the whole sticks thing to feel like a big impending threat but i just don't feel like that is an accurate analysis like i don't think we needed anything else to build onto that we could have just had a fun little protege for apollo someone who has a very different relationship from the other characters and actually interested in what he has to say about music um and like someone to, and it would be a good development yes to develop him to humanize some of these characters to help to interrogate this idea of like monster races especially after this fiasco with the germani in the past book they also dust notably they turn to dust they dust and I just, I, they take this very seriously in the sense that Apollo almost talks more about Crest's death than he talks about Jason's death. 
low-key. Yeah, oh. I don't know why they're given the same importance. I'm like giving it the same importance. On, on the same level. <laughs> they're on the same level for me. Okay, well, that, that's you. That's you. I mean, I really liked Crest. I'm going to, I'll ride for Crest. Crest is a king. Crest learned those chord progressions very quickly. Mm -hmm. Crest said, give me that suspended fourth, baby. The sus four, <laughs> the minor six. I really appreciated Rick doing at some point a good you know five minutes of reading off of google of what the chords actually are there was so much music theory in this book because the music theory is stronger in this one even though there is a reference to apollo feeling uh this time instead of feeling a major c in his heart he feels like a b minor seven or something in his heart which is still ridiculous but a little less ridiculous <laughs> and then the things afterwards reading my favorite haiku chapter so far that we've gotten is a suspended fourth. The kind of chord you play just before suddenly. <laughs> That's music theory. So true. That's music theory. Yeah, that one was funny. I've got some quotes about Miss McLean Pop in the second half of this book that I would like to address and give give space to here in this in this space beginning with page 256 apollo's pov saying i soon realized piper didn't need to rely on charm speak to persuade people she carried herself with confidence striding from ship to ship like she was supposed to be there this is the confidence we needed from her i'm so glad she has it now it's brand new yes it's literally brand new it came from her self-actualizing post-breakup with Jason. It came from sword fighting with Annabeth on, and Hazel on the deck of the Argo 2. All of these things, defeating Guy, like all of this I feel like has, has contributed to her, her newfound self-confidence that she's never had before this book, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I would definitely also say her fight with Media like really closed off that arc as well in finding confidence. Like Media is meant to be like the evil version of Piper. And her mm. defeating that gives power to her. Mm -hmm. Good for her. Yeah. And this is another paragraph. Piper and Apollo pop out into a crowd of mercenaries on a yacht, and Piper decides to start singing to distract them, asking Apollo to, like, back her up. Yes. And he thinks she means back her up with physical violence, but she actually means, like, accompany her on the ukulele. Yes. Play music. <laughs> the song is precisely quoted, Life of Illusion by Joe Walsh, which is a 1980s pop song. And Apollo says, she didn't change the lyrics. Nevertheless, I felt her story in every line, her struggle as the neglected child of a famous movie star, her mixed feelings about discovering she was a daughter of Aphrodite, most hurtful of all, her realization that the supposed love of her life, Jason Grace, was not someone she wanted to be with romantically. I didn't understand it all, but the power of her voice was undeniable. My ukulele responded, my chords turned more resonant, my riffs were more soulful. Every note I played was a cry of sympathy for Piper McLean, my own musical skill amplifying hers. Woof. Woof, woof, woof. You know, we didn't have a lot of details about the breakup, but it seems like um, Melly and Hedge were under the impression that Jason broke up with her at some point recently, whereas in reality, Piper broke up with him a while ago. That was a part of the revelation that it was not yes. related to the recent issues that they've been having. It wasn't related to the burning maze. It was before all of that. It was after they like decided that they were going to live in California, after they'd been frantically, actively searching for Leo. Choice. Thoughtfulness. Oh, this is the bottom of page 262 if you're reading along. Apollo and Piper. But the way you sang it, you seem to be talking about yourself while you broke up with Jason. I tried. After the war with Gaia, I convinced myself everything would be perfect. And for a while... A few months, maybe, I thought it was. Jason's great. He's my closest friend, even more than Annabeth. But whatever I thought was there, my happily ever after, it just wasn't. Your relationship was born in crisis. Such romances are difficult to sustain once the crisis is over. It wasn't just that. A century ago, I dated Grand Duchess Tatiana Romanov. Things were great between us during the Russian Revolution. She was so stressed, so scared. It was me. What do you mean it was you? You mean you realize you didn't love Jason? That's no one's fault. I know it's nobody's fault. I do love him, but like I told you, Hera forced us together, the marriage goddess, arranging a happy couple. My memories of starting to date Jason, our first few months together were a total illusion. 
Then as soon as I found that out, before I could even process what it meant, Aphrodite claimed me, my mom, the goddess of love. Aphrodite pushed me into thinking I was, that I needed to, look at me, the great charm speaker, I don't even have the words. Aphrodite expects her daughters to wrap men around our little fingers, break their hearts, etc. Yes, your mother has definite ideas about how romance should be. So if you take that away, the goddess of marriage pushing me to settle down with a nice boy, the goddess of love pushing me to be the perfect romantic lady or whatever. You're wondering who you are without all that pressure. For the Cherokee, traditionally speaking, your heritage comes from your mom's side. The clan she comes from is the clan you come from. The dad's side doesn't really count. <laughs> Which means technically, I'm not Cherokee. I don't belong to any of the seven main clans because my mom is a Greek goddess. Ah. Uh. So, I mean, do I even have that to define myself? The last few months have been trying to learn more about my heritage, but what if I'm not any of the things I've been told I am? I have to figure out who I am. Have you come to any conclusions? She brushed her hair behind her ear. I'm in process. Nature loves her little surprises. She sure does. It's been my observation that you humans are more than the sum of your history. You can choose how much of your ancestry to embrace. You can overcome the expectations of your family and your society. What you cannot do, and should never do, is try to be someone other than yourself, Piper McLean. That's nice, I like that. You're sure you're not the god of wisdom? <laughs> I applied for the job, but they gave it to someone else, something about inventing olives. Talk about righting your parents' wrongs and stopping generational trauma. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Talk about nature sure does love her surprises, <laughs> like you being gay. <laughs> I really want to think in this moment that Apollo realizes that Piper is gay. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. He's like, this sounds real familiar. <laughs> I just quickly want to say that chapter 34 is the most painful chapter Rick Riordan has ever written. It is the chapter after Jason's death where they show up on the beach where Piper is screaming so loud and sobbing that it's echoing off of the cliffs of Malibu. No, okay, okay. I have thoughts because it's like she's trying to like charm speak him back into life. And if I remember right, this worked. This worked in The Lost Hero. Yeah. And she literally charm spoke him back to life because the doors of death were open. But now she's like trying like desperately, desperately, desperately to recreate that. She's like, please, like he is not dead. He is not. She's just trying to speak it into existence. And it's just so horrible. Oh my God. She can also barely speak right now because we didn't mention that Caligula slapped her across the face so hard that he basically dislocated her jaw. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally slashed her lip apart. Her face is bruised. She is extremely covered in blood going through it this poor girl is going through it oh my god literally yeah physically mentally it's a very yeah when we talk about the the visual iconography of this this moment really is striking and strong the way that they describe jason as having endured a lot of other physical assaults after he's already died like he's full of arrows they mention there are arrows literally sticking out of him his entire body yeah. And his blue shirt is purple because it's stained with so much because blood. Because of the... Oh my god! As purple as a Roman legionnaire's sash. Like, oh my god. Stop, 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 stop. It's a lot, I think. It's really well done. Like, if you're going to just look at it analytically, like, he really captures it really painfully well. Oh my and god. And we've never... I guess we have with Nico and Bianca that severity of pain. Like, we we've seen it, but... Um, to have it be Piper, who we've seen a literal point of view from, it's so much closer. And then you're seeing it from an outside point of view as well. So it's like, on another level, you're seeing just how like visceral their reaction is. I also want to say that Piper's dad in this scene makes such a difference as well. Or it's just so crucial because Tristan McLean has been... So, like beaten and battered in this series right like he gets captured by giants yeah. they have to wipe his memory um and now his like entire life has been turned upside down by the triumvirate like completely damaging his name he has no more money he has no prospects his film career is completely ruined 
And Piper especially is one of those demigods that is, you know, has to hide so much from her dad. Having literally wiped his memories, it's like a terrible reference, but Hermione and her parents, you know, like they, there's this impossible barrier. Yeah, between them. And the demigods, except for Percy, really never, ever, ever get to rely on their mortal parents. But Tristan McLean walking onto the beach and seeing Jason and immediately being like surfing accident and immediately taking charge. Yeah. yeah. The line Apollo says, it's page 313. At that moment, Tristan McLean should have broken once and for all seeing Jason's dead body on the shore. But he had one important role left to play, the role of her father. And he just pulls it together and is like, you guys call 911, like Piper, like you stay here. And he like checks for breath. He like does all of the things. And it's just like, it makes you want to sob in the way that it does when you're suddenly like, I have a parent. I can relax for just a moment. Like I can let some of that responsibility off of my shoulders. Especially because, yeah. like, they're all children. They're so young. Yeah. Oh, God. Apollo has that line of, like, Jason is not old enough to vote or drink alcohol, but he's out here, like, doing the most. That, oh, my God. No. Literally. Because it's just, like, wow. Because, like, I mean, we're reading this, right? And we're like, yeah, of course it's, like, teenagers saving the world. Yeah. But then, like, this moment where, like, Tristan McLean is, like, I'm the adult. And then Piper's like, oh, like I don't have to like do this alone. The mo- and it gets hit, that beat gets hit once more when we get back to eye tails and they have to tell Coach Hedge. And Hedge is about to break down and freak out and be like, I was Jason's protector. I should have been there. And mm-hmm. then immediately, like Melly tries to comfort him. And then he's immediately like, no, Piper needs us. And he goes into full dad mode, just like Tristan did. And it makes me cry. I think I'm tearing up. <laughs> Caitlin, tear alert. This whole chapter is so worth a reread. If you're mentally stable, I would recommend <laughs> chapter 34 yeah. from The Burning Maze. If, if you're mentally stable, do not reread it otherwise. Like, you need preparation for this. You will sustain psychic damage otherwise. <laughs> Immense psychic damage. Piper is like also the whole time. It's not just that she's screaming, she's also lashing out at everyone around her. She's demanding explanations. This is the part where we get the conversation about the physician's cure and trying to find other ways mm. to cheat death since Rick left that open. Um, Gaslit <laughs> the heck out of Piper leading up to this moment. <laughs> Literally. Literally the fact that she found out, she hasn't seen Leo yet, but she just found out like yesterday that Leo came back to life. She's obviously thinking that Jason is going to be able to do so too. Oh, God, Leo. Okay. One thing at a time. One no, thing at a time. That, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I have so many, so many thoughts. Speaking of, at the very end of the book, this is our last scene with the hedges. You know, they're going to drive off to Oklahoma with Piper. We're getting ready to board the private jet with Jason's corpse. Piper shows up, and this is the last quote I'm going to read. I literally promise. It's on page 410. It's the most important quote to me in the entire book. <laughs> Piper was dressed in faded denim jeans and a green camo tank top. She'd cut her hair in a shorter, choppier style, probably because so much had been singed off anyway, which gave her an eerie resemblance to Talia Grace. Her multicolored eyes picked up the gray of the tarmac, so she might have been mistaken for a child of Athena. Homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) Erica texted me a photo of the text this morning. This entire paragraph is underlined and in the margin it just says gay, gay, gay. The very (laughs) first thing I thought of was Legend of Korra when she cuts her hair. When she cuts her hair and shows up in a green tank top. The reference to Talia Grace as though Apollo cannot comprehend ever like knowing or meeting a lesbian and so his only frame of reference (laughs) is Talia. It's like she looks like Talia now. I wonder what that could mean. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) What a what a coincidence. What a coinky dink. (laughs) The reference to Athena, the way that she talked about her friendship with Annabeth in that earlier quote we read, I just love pulling on all of these powerful women that we've encountered throughout the series Mm -hmm. i just feel like obviously that's what she would be doing right now she would be thinking about the women in her life Mm -hmm. who she respects and wants to emulate and like starting on that journey by starting there and then it's time for ethan to shine i'm passing away who shows up just as we're about to depart here it's leo valdez riding in on festus returning from his little visit to camp half-blood he's alone this time there is no calypso good for them yeah taking a little break (laughs) 
And uh, <laughs> obviously, he gets the news. He sees their faces. No. Where's Jason? Piper immediately starts sobbing. Oh my God. He is like in shock, and then he just buries her head into her neck. The Leo Piper friendship is something that is so, so important. Actually, okay, the Lost Trio, like Jason, Piper, Leo, is so important to me. <laughs> but also, just like, there's so many layers of tragedy here. Jason never got to see Leo again, Leo never got to see Jason again. Piper. Within days, she had one day where she learned that Leo was alive, that Jason wasn't. Like, she was literally, like, finally, like, oh, my God, like, we're back together. Like, it's going to be great after we, like, survive this thing. Um, and then J Jason dies. And it's like, wow, bro. Have you guys all seen How to Train Your Dragon, the entire franchise? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> you can spoil How to Train Your Dragon 2 or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> Hiccup only has his dad. In the second movie, we find out he has his mom, and they essentially just have one day where they have a meal together, a family meal, and then literally his dad, like, dies minutes later, and his entire world is just, like, once again, he, for one day, he was part of a full family. And I know the dynamic will be different for the Lost Trio, but essentially, that's what it is. I just recently watched How to Train Your Dragon It's in its entirety for the first time, so that really hit for me. Oh my gosh, How to Train Your Dragon is like my favorite. It's the Lilo and Stitch team getting poached because Disney wouldn't let them to continually have creative freedom. Oh. Let's fact check that. I'm like 90 plus percent sure about this. Um, it's the Lilo and Stitch team's take on Viking Persebeth. That is so true of them. Ethan. Yes. We promised the listeners that you would talk a little bit about your POV on what you believe to be the greatest love story ever told. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. The floor is yours. Okay, so we're on the tarmac. Leo <laughs> comes out of the sky with best. We cannot escape the tarmac. The tarmac is emotionally <laughs> Nor fraud. should we. We're serving Casablanca realness right now. The emotional- Oh, I literally just watched Casablanca. I get that reference. <laughs> okay, film major energy. I get that. <laughs> we were showing it for free at like the Michigan Theater. It was just right there. Oh, Anyways, God. I love the Michigan yeah. Theater. Anyways, yeah, so on the tarmac, Leo's there, Piper's there, Apollo's there. They break the news to him. What does Leo start doing? He starts tapping in Morse code. Now, I love you. Yeah, he can only tap I love you. Or at least that's like the thing that he like, like that's like his tick. That's what he, him and his mom did, yeah. And so immediately after hearing that Jason's dead, what does he start doing? He starts tapping. What is he tapping? He's tapping I love you. It, it's I'm over, I'm done. That's all I need, but I will go more. <laughs> I will say more. Oh my god, you're right. It's literally on the page. 416. Yeah. Leo tapped his fingers on his thighs as if carrying two simultaneous conversations in Morse code. It's there. It's right there. And then again, like what Caitlin said about like to storm or fire, the world must fall. It's just that like Shakespearean tragic love. Like one of them had to die. It was one or the other. And it was fated. And like that prophecy came from like how many hundreds of years ago? They were literally tied together for hundreds and hundreds of years. Very Shakespearean of you. Romeo and Juliet. -esque, yeah. I would say. Exactly. Carter is not buying it. <laughs> I wish the listeners could see no. Carter's face right now. I am buying oh it. God. I'm in. I'm in. I'm fully invested okay. in this now. I'm, I'm convinced by the Morse code thing like that. Right? You got I me get there. I get why Leo would be into Jason because Leo likes machines and Jason is basically a robot. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would get that. <laughs> okay, well, there's more evidence right there. <laughs> okay, so my like perception of Valgrace is like I think that what like Piper goes through, like that like discovery, I fully believe that Jason was set to do the same thing. Whoa. Yeah, that's my thing. Like I'm over here. This is blowing my mind. But then I have, there's another part. Leo is also primed for this sort of realization because his entire arc throughout Heroes of Olympus, I'm just like going so into this, but his entire arc through Heroes of Olympus is that he is the seventh wheel. And reading that, mm -hmm. like, 
when I was like first reading it as like a middle schooler, I was like, yeah, Kaleo, woo. But then like looking back, I'm like, that arc should have, it could have resolved two ways. Either he realizes that he's not romantically attracted to women at all, or he's not romantically attracted to anyone at all. Mm -hmm. And then that would have resolved with him like being like, okay, like I don't need another person. I don't even want another person. I was just feeling like that comp aloe, uh, compulsive allosexuality that like that need to be with another person yeah I don't know how to like finish that thought but no exhibit a b and c we get it you convinced us you did not convince Carter but you got me <laughs> I did not convince Carter I, I, I'm more convinced than I was uh before we had this conversation let's say that <laughs> that's really good that I've done my job I guess like out of the potential like ships that Jason has been in Valgrace makes the most logical sense because I hated him and Piper together. Absolutely hate anyone that is shipped with Percy other than Annabeth. Sorry. Period. So true. <laughs> More on that. On Leah's <laughs> end, I never really liked Calypso, but that's because I have my own issues with her. Yeah, Leah was <laughs> not it. Logically, it, it does make sense. And like, of course, they have they have that kind of history of like friends and stuff. So I was never opposed to it, but I am more inclined to it now, I will say. I won't say it's the best, sorry. That's fine. It's all, As long as I've, like, opened the door for you. <laughs> You've done your that. prophetic work today. Exactly. The Erythrian exactly. Sybil is Ethan. Yeah, it's me. Prophetizing about Valgrace. The Erythrian Sybil, more like the Ethan Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> Got him! I think that's the perfect note um, for us to finish the burning maze on. I, as always, am sure there are things we didn't get to. If we missed your favorite plot points, send us your thoughts on today's conversation. We'd love to hear it. You can contact us on Instagram at Seaweed Brain Podcast, Twitter at Seaweed Brain Pod. You can leave us a review. You can follow Caitlin at Prismeth Feels Fandom and at Caitlin Reads a Lot on all platforms. You can follow Ethan at Ethan with two N's Koo on every platform. And wow, I guess when we come back, we're going to be on a book I have not literally even touched before, which is the fourth Trials of Apollo book, which I don't know the title of. We're going to New Rome, everybody. Um, that's where we left off. Tyrant's Tomb. I guess we should get excited, eh? Because guess who's going to be in New Rome? It's Raina. It's Raina time. Raina's in the prophecy. Are we ready? Thank God. It's time for her to be in the prophecy. Oh my God. It literally is. Ugh. We will see all of you next time. Thank you so much for being here, Caitlin and Ethan. This was such a treat. Thank you for having us. Always fun to be back. Yeah, thank you for having yes, us. Yes, please come back anytime. Don't worry. I'll be there. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.